set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle and crack it cold. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. This is Bruise and Tiny Teeth. Life is good. Life is very busy, but uh, but it's good. And I, I'm sure that's for everybody, quite frankly. But, um, you know, practicing pediatric dentistry, you know, three and a half days a week, doing a lot of administrative clerical mm-hmm. type stuff quite a bit more often than, than I would like right now. But that's just kind of part of going through a practice transition and, um, you know, focusing on refining systems and fine tuning all of that. And, um, yeah, prepping prepping for my partner's departure and trying to bring somebody else on yeah. board. So I wanted to uh, I wanted to spend some time talking about that because that's obviously something that I haven't had to deal with yet, um, or probably won't for a while. But um, just backing up, like listeners, it's probably important to know just to give context. Like this is kind of a unique and cool and interesting podcast because um, I associated for you guys in your office right out of residency from that point of time from residency through like basically COVID hitting and the whole world came to a standstill. So that like eight months of time or whatever. And so your guys' office was kind of my foot in the door into the real world of pediatric dentistry. And you kind of don't realize it at the time, but you know, when you, you get out and you kind of start your own practice and you talk to other dentists that work for, you know, that associate elsewhere, because I have people messaging me like all the time from the podcast, like listeners with crummy associate ships and some that love their, their, um, their owner docs and some where it's a really bad relationship, but it kind of makes you like puts into perspective, you know, being grateful for like a good working experience. And I don't know how, how mutual, but I can say like after the fact now that like, it's, it's nice, like still keeping like, you know, it was a good experience for me, like learned a ton of stuff from you guys. You guys had an awesome practice, like, and it's cool that like, you know, I, I think we can both say like, it was a good relationship and it worked out well, because I'm realizing there's a lot of times that that is not the case. There's a lot of bad divorces in like the world of pediatric dentistry. I'm kind of learning. Yeah, for sure. No, the feeling is absolutely mutual, Casey. We were lucky to have you in, in, you know, your, your personality and your presence in the practice really had an impact on a lot of the, a lot of the staff, um, and, and myself and, you know, the, the, the things that we loved about you is, is what makes you so great at exactly this kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, no, we were, we were happy to have you. We were lucky to have you. Okay. So yeah, we just went on a spiel. We were saying nice things to each other before we <laughs> it's about, about associating, but I wanted to get back to that. Um, we were talking about how, um, you know, not every associateship ends pleasantly. Some are really good fits and some are not. And now that we both kind of have some experience there, it's kind of nice to reflect on some of that. But uh, just so so people understand like where you're coming from and how you got into the practice up there, you know, prior to me joining you guys as an associate in whatever it was, 2019 pre-pandemic, like you had been there for a few years. So back us up and tell, tell like listeners how you came to be a practice owner there, like what your residency journey looked like and then how you got to become an owner at the practice up there. Yeah. So, um, I, I went to dental school at the university of Nebraska. Uh, so I was in Lincoln, Nebraska there for that. And, uh, that was kind of a natural move for me. I, you know, I'm uh, originally from the Omaha area. It's kind of where all my family's based. And, uh, after graduating from there, I went to the UNMC pedo program or Nebraska pedo in Omaha. Um, which again, was kind of a, a natural transition staying in state there. It's something I kind of wanted to do too. I had uh, my grandfather. I don't even know if I've told you told you about this part, but 
my uh, my grandfather helped establish the the residency program in Nebraska. I did um, not know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so kind of have a some family ties there, and um, and yeah, it's, I I went there at a really great time. I had there was a little bit of a transition with with some some faculty and program directors, but uh, I the ultimately what kind of shook out out of it was I had a lot of co-residents that had been out in private practice for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my program director was someone who had been out in private practice for a while, which brings a, a very different flavor to a residency program than, um, than most. I think a lot of them, it's, it's academics. They kind of make their way up the chain and don't really have um, some of that private practice perspective. So it was, it was really, it was a unique, unique opportunity for me and one that I really cherish and value. But at any rate, I graduated from there in uh, 2014. One of our faculty members knew Dennis uh, or my partner through the Air Force, and they thought we'd be a good fit and lined us up. And at the time, uh, my wife Lindsay and I we didn't have any we didn't have any kids, um, and we were pretty mobile and willing to move and travel. And uh, you know, one piece of, of advice I'd gotten from my dad, uh, who was a business banker, he always assessing risk. It was basically don't don't move into a really saturated market. Um, you know, you see, you want to kind of eliminate your competition and, and lower your, your risk of, you know, litigation with things and everything else. He goes, go into an unsaturated market where you're going to be in high demand. And central Minnesota was that spot. My partner kind of figured it out first and, and, um, set up shop there. I want to say, uh, oh gosh, 10 or 12 years before I joined him. So he had a, he had a very healthy practice when I joined and, um, started off with just an associateship. Um, after about a year or so, we, we started, uh, contract negotiations for partnership. And then I was a partner in 2016, um, and I've been a practice owner since. Um, so you partnered just to, to get that clear, you partnered after working for Dennis as an associate, what about a year and a half, two years before the deal was totally done. Something like yep, that. Exactly. And you guys, you guys bought an even 50, 50 split when that time came. Mm-hmm. We did 51, 49, um, which, you know, I know makes most people pretty uneasy, but um, we had the, the contract laid out so there was equal voting rights. Really, the 5149 came back to more of a, uh, more of a distribution formula in the long run, which I was, you know, and still am happy to, to pay Dennis for all the legwork he did to get, you know, to build this enormous practice that we joined and, and um so yeah, so it wasn't wasn't a big deal to me, um, but yeah, I'll be buying his remaining fifty one percent at the end of June here. So, so give people a perspective. Uh, you know, you and I can both kind of like shed light on this since we both worked up there. But um, you know, the practice Dennis opened it himself in like the St. Cloud area, and that was years ago. And then over time, it's just kind of organically grew. And for a, a good chunk of time before, like myself came in and started helping out, you guys grown to like four offices and, you know, just crazy busy, but what's the, like, walk us through what the growth story was like, as far as like uh, satellite offices and such. Yeah. So Dennis had actually started with another group uh, in the area and he, he had even partnered with them. And it was a situation where he wasn't, he didn't feel like he was getting a fair shake um, on the financial end of things. Um, and, and, it really rubbed him the wrong way. So he, he ended the partnership ended up dissolving, but out of the partnership, he took with him the 
the Monticello office because this group, it was a group practice that had multiple locations and he took um, a location in Monticello in Princeton mm -hmm. and then set up a new office in Sartell at that time. And um, the, the way he was able to make that work for such a long time as a solo doc was that he shared you know, the Sartell office was his main location. And in his main location, he worked at the majority days of the week. Um, and every, every few days out of the month, he would travel to those other locations that were more satellites uh, with his old practice. And the spaces were shared with an oral surgeon and an orthodontist. Um, and in some instances for a short period of time with an endodontist as well. So they were, they were helping to cover the overhead of those satellites while he was still kind of building his practice. And, um, after a period of time, he built uh, an office out in Sock Center, which boosted us up to four offices. Uh, and that was before I joined. He had an associate that was on board for about a year um, before I, I jumped in. Um, and things just, she, the, from what I understand, she was, a, she was a great associate, but it just, she was looking for uh, something closer to the cities, um, just kind of a different opportunity. So she moved on and I came in. Um, and after I had been with Dennis for a number of years, we renovated the main office and then we built a brand new office in Monticello uh, just because that one had, had grown so significantly over the years um, that we sharing the space with an orthodontist and an oral surgeon kind of no longer made sense. So everybody kind of needed their own suite. So we built that, that really nice building in Monticello. Um, I want to say finished either at the end of 17, start of 18, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's, that's kind of how the practice grew. Um, and, and building, if, I mean, building a new location always attracts quite a few new patients, right? You can, you can expect a certain amount of growth from it. We were, we were talking with our associate a while back and, you know, he, he projected even before we built the building that we would ex we would expect to see something like you know twelve to fifteen percent growth just because we built a new building, mm -hmm. um, and we exceeded that. But I mean, he was correct. I mean, we we really saw some some notable growth, which was interesting. So yeah. So just to give a now like a, a very up to date snapshot, you're up to four locations and two. Well, I guess two partners and then an associate, but four locations two of which are like full-time operating. And then the other two are just a couple days a week. This is kind of mm -hmm. updated, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, yeah. So the, the satellites are basically four or five days a month uh, each. And then the other two main locations are staffed full-time now. Okay. Um, and it's just, it's just Dennis, myself. And then we have uh, one associate that's working with us right now too, but everybody's full-time. So full-time. So, uh, you know, if somebody were to ask like, because I've juggled this question before and I'm not quite sure. I haven't really penciled out the numbers, but you know, the idea of opening a satellite practice, which you guys seem to do well, walk me through how you guys pencil out the numbers as far as like making sense of it when you're working in a satellite, but only a limited amount of time trying to make the overhead worth the time and effort to like juggle the logistics of, of going out there. Cause I know that, you know, some people do the satellite thing well, but sometimes I think to myself, man, if I'm one person, um, you know, I'd have to be doing a lot of dentistry out of the satellite location to um, at a good overhead level to make it profitable enough to warrant that versus me just staying in one home base and trying to attract those patients in. Yes. But I know you had mentioned like you have, you know, you guys have shared spaces with an orthodontist and an oral surgeon and kind of worked in unique spaces to make it work. But give me your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, 
so I think, I think it has to do with, um, cause you're not wrong. I mean, it, opening a satellite doesn't make any sense if you, if you are only able to work, you know, the five days a week, mm-hmm. if you have more people that are, that can expand your number of days that you're in your existing office and you can't, you know, you've, you've exceeded the capacity of your existing office, then it makes sense to have a satellite. Um, we've kind of ebbed and flowed with, with our size a little bit, as far as number of doctors and the capacity that we could see. Um, my hope is to, is to get, you know, three, get three full-time dentists and allow for some more growth and potentially even get up to four. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it makes sense to really have all four offices clipping along. The nice thing about our satellite locations is the, the overhead in those spots are drastically lower than our two main offices. And it, you know, the part of it is because it's a bit more rural and the cost of the, the real estate out there is much more affordable, um, you know, smaller spaces. And again, we're sharing those spaces with, with an orthodontist on just different days of the week. So we're really, we're really cutting the overhead pretty slim on those. Um, and had it not been from the number of surgical cases we can kind of pull from those areas and, and the fact that they have a really large, uh, they grab a they grab a large number of patients from outlying communities, mm-hmm. um, so they 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 make sense to hang on to. But quite frankly, we could probably just run the two offices full time if I if I happen to go down to two doctors here. So, but yeah. I, again, I'd like to find someone else to replace Dennis to keep this thing um, growing full steam ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so to to give listeners more of a perspective, you know, about some of the patients you guys see up in central Minnesota, because that's that's something that was you know the the Patient population was something that I learned more about working up there with you guys for a while. Um, but, you know, when you think of it, it just was interesting, like spending my time in central Minnesota, because you know this, but like my wife and I lived, she had to work downtown in Minneapolis. So we lived on, you know, out in the suburbs. Then I drove drove up to work with you guys and she drove into the city and everything. Um, but, you know, I imagine that's got to be just speaking out loud, kind of a challenge of finding an associate one, I'm sure I'm going to face because my practice demographic wise is very similar to yours where it's kind of a bedroom community. Like it's a, it's a lot of people, a lot of bodies, but it's not, you know, it's not like there's a Starbucks right next door everywhere, like, you know, smaller town. And I guess, you know, your areas that you're in, like, are you guys, let me just back up. Cause at this point I'm rambling, but tell me about like the patient population up there and the size of the city yeah. that you're in the four locations, just to give listeners a perspective. Yeah. Like, uh, St. Cloud's about 200,000, um, greater St. Cloud and the, the Sartell office is just a, that's a bedroom community of St. Cloud or not even that it's just, it's a suburb. Mm-hmm. Um, Monticello is about 15,000. And then the other two satellites are about 5,000. Um, the, the patient makeup, and I think this is, you know, not necessarily unique to our practice, but u- unique among pedo practices, I suppose, is um, we, we've got a really big chunk of insurance and um, yeah, we still very much do our part with Medicaid, but the, the percentages are controlled. They're intentionally kind of controlled. Uh, our kind of, our, our practice model is, is, is largely based around the doctor spending more time with the patients. And in order to do that, you kind of have to charge a little bit more money and you kind of have to uh, not totally limit, but you do have to kind of limit the, the Medicaid numbers a little bit in order to do that and make it make sense financially for the practice and for the, for the staff and everybody else. So mm-hmm. um, 
but it's something, it's also something, you know, where, whereas as much as I, you know, I regret that I'm not seeing more Medicaid, I also really, really value the, the face time that I'm able to get with patients and, and kind of the relationship building that I'm able to get out of that situation too. So it's, it feels, um, it feels more rewarding to me than to try to, to churn it out with an enormous number of patients every day. So sure, sure. That was something I, I, I kind of appreciated with you guys as well was like, you know, when you see an office that sees like 70 or 80 kids a day and just the breakneck pace you have to go, like my associate chip, obviously you guys started me slow and kind of let me build my speed and skills over time. But I thought it was cool. Like one of the big things you guys do is like every kid, if they want, like you'll make an animal balloon with the air water syringe. I still do that. Like I don't make one for every kid because I, I just like, it sucks a lot of my time. Like I'm still not great at them, but like you guys make animal balloons and I use that little trick because it's a cheap thing to do, but it's super impactful and the kids love it. But you know, that's being able to take the time to like develop that relationship, make an animal balloon, like spend a little extra time with those kids, like extra time, you know, really making sure parents understand your treatment plans and like just taking the time to walk through things with them. Like it was nice being able to work in a practice and see, you know, cause I've worked, I have a lot of experience with Medicaid in Iowa and other practices and just my practice in Missouri, but it was nice being able to see perspective from what some pediatric dentists you know, because every practice model is different, but working in that practice model, that's like, we're going to really focus on patient relationship and not, you know, being a factory and like really being able to spend some time with the patient. And you can scale that up to the point of, you know, seeing a dozen, 15 kids a day and sitting down and having an hour conversation with parents, if you want to, it's all a matter of where you draw the line, but it was nice to get that experience where, you know, it was cool to be able to spend a little bit extra time and develop relationship with kids. And so, um, so I definitely learned a lot there, but I appreciate the fact that you guys kind of paid attention to your, to your demographic makeup within the practice. Like, you know, we were able to see some Medicaid, but like you said, it was very controlled. It was usually referral based kids. We knew were full mouth rehab, stuff like that. So you're still able to do a lot of good and kind of do your part there, but still like giving priority to parents that, um, you know, actually have to reach in their wallet and write a check or pay for, you know, pay for the appointment. So it was a nice, healthy balance, which was cool to see. Yeah, that's nice of you to say that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's something that I pride myself in. I really, I really, and like I said, it's something that I really appreciate and and value in the work more than anything else. It's, it's the relationships that really make the job. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, it's and it's and it's been great. And you know, I, I know our audio got kind of cut poorly earlier there, but really, Casey, you added a lot to the practice. Your 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 personality and. Um, you, you know, your confidence and uh, just how outgoing you are. It just, it not only really laid well with the kids and the parents, but it affected the staff in a really positive way too. I mean, <laughs> to this day, I still have, I still have my staff members saying, Hey, did you see what Dr. Casey posted on Facebook? Or did you, <laughs> did you, you know, they're, they're always sending me something that you've been doing. And I, 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 you know, it, I think that speaks to you as a practitioner and, and what you were able to do in the practice, not only with the patients, but our staff too. So Mitch, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny the whole time you're saying this and you're, I'm trying to not get a big head here. I keep thinking of the handful of patients that I saw when I was at your office that like, you know, the, the clinical stuff, like the class two that didn't go well, there's a handful of them little girl who I saw under OR and didn't take the spacer on and I couldn't get it. Like, I don't know, like clinical things that didn't go well that I'm like, I'm sure there's been appointments where you see these kids back. You're like, God, who did this trash garbage dentistry? And you're like, freaking gets did that work six months ago. But like, we all have those. It's everybody. 
I'm so yeah, self-conscious about people having to clean up things that I screwed up that I'd like to be able to, which is, I mean, everybody figures it out, but you know, that's my way of apologizing. If you ran across, don't it. apologize. No, it was yeah. few and far between. And it, ha- it happens to absolutely everybody. It happened to me plenty. Dennis, Dennis bailed me out plenty <laughs> the first year or two of my employment yeah. there. So yeah. I, I get it. And yeah, it was, it's no, you're being hard on yourself. So, yeah. but you know how it goes though, right? Like, like, it's really easy in the world of dentistry to be critique other people's work when you weren't there, you know? And so you see some back somebody's recall and you're like, man, this class two like has a big void in it. Or, you know, this, uh, this spacer is like buried under the, you know, truck, like dug into the gingiva or something like, and uh, I'm just like, Oh man, I hope that wasn't, you know, I hope that wasn't. Yeah. Until you get that kid and that parent yourself and realize, Oh, okay. I get that was not a, not an easy appointment. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it's cool. Um, it's cool how many little things like I use you, you guys as an example of like when I get I get asked again all the time, you know, from other pediatric dentists like, um, you know, I want I'm interested in starting my own practice right out of residency and stuff and I tell them like if you've got, you know, um, a spouse with good income, like a significant source of income, if you've got a lot of cash in the bank, like at least to the tune of 50 grand easily um, to spend on a startup and you're really organized and like very you know, educated on the business side of things and you feel confident and you're going to a high demand area, great, like swing it. But um, I feel like I'm so, my practice currently has blown up so much because like just in that eight months, I was able to pick up so many little things. Like I was always up front with like Shannon and talking to Aleda about like insurance things and like, how do you guys do this? What happens, you know, um, you know, for GH, are we, are we collecting that money now? Or like, what's a good way to do this? Um, and then like clinical things, like I always use the little mosquito burrs to break contacts that you guys use. Like, um, I, I don't know, all sorts of little tips and tricks, but it's just, there's so many things you don't realize that you don't know until you've worked for another office or two, yeah. or, you know, gotten some skin in the game. So I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm super impressed that you went out and started up your own practice. Um, even, even after having spent that time with us, I mean, it's, what an enormous challenge it is, even just to, I mean, to run, as I kind of transitioned into full ownership and Dennis has kind of let go of the reins and I'm doing pretty much everything. I've, like I said, I have an enormous amount of respect for what you're doing right now, Casey. It's a lot of work. And, and I've, you know, I've, excuse my language, but fell ass backwards into a really good situation. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, again, res- respect to you and, and kudos to you too. And I'm glad things are working out well for you. So tell me about the relationship, you know, when you have a, a partnership with Dennis, you guys, well, let's, let's go back and dive in. Cause I want to know how you guys divide tasks. And so before we get to that though, tell me about the buy-in transition process. You're there a year and a half, your associate contract probably has something in it about, you know, I have the option to, we can discuss partnership on this date after this point in time, did you use a broker to help come up with a figure and the, like, tell me about the brokerage transition and lending uh, process to facilitate that. Yeah. So at the time, Dennis had a practice consultant um, and we used him to help draw up the documents and uh, uh, to uh, calculate the price of the practice um, and then he also kind of helped line up financing too. And yeah. we, yeah, we both had our own lawyers through the whole process as well, but really his practice consultant is who, who really set things up. Mm-hmm. Um, if I being on the other side of this now and working through kind of the last half of this transition, 
I, I can't say enough good things about uh, the, the McGill and Hill company. And I'm, I'm using Roger Hill for this last half of the transition. Um, they're, they're just incredibly thorough and they've done this so much. And especially with, with um, specialty practices that they understand the nuance behind all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so if, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's among a more, among more of the expensive ways to approach this, but in my opinion, it's, it's money well spent. And it's something that you can, you know, if you're in the practice and you're owning it, it's something you can write off. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would, I would strongly consider a consultant or, or some sort of broker, like you had mentioned. I think that's good. I think yeah. That's and did, good did you guys consider. finance internally or did you, did you take this to a lender and get like a specialty loan for the, for the buyout? A little bit of both. We, I, I financed, oh gosh, how do we split it up? I want to say it was like one seventh of the purchase price. I took a bank note out for, and <laughs> at the time I didn't have a whole lot of, uh, equity in anything <laughs> or, or right. much savings. Right. Um, I had, a, I had a little <laughs> bit, but not enough to purchase a practice by any stretch. So, um, I got kind of the biggest bank note I could basically. And then the rest of it was through deferred compensation. And, uh, we did that over five years and, you know, gosh, it, up until recently, uh, money's been cheap. So it worked out really pretty well. Um, right. Right. and I think deferred compensation really makes sense if you're buying in, um, and your partner's sticking around. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, people will ask this to, to somebody in your situation, like, you know, and you're a great person to, to answer this question. So you buy in, um, you know, Dennis is by himself. He's pumping this practice, but he's maxed out as, as a single doc can do. Right. So he's doing, you know, close to 2 million bucks, say, or something. I'm just pulling some round numbers out, but then let's say you come in. So you're buying um, value at that first buyout, you're buying it into a $2 million practice round number. Well, then you come in and you work and you pump this machine. You guys keep growing, you bring in an associate. All of a sudden we've built this three, $4 million beast or something. Well, because you've added all that value and, you know, like you've, you've increased the value of the practice. I know that that gets kind of tricky because people buying in will say, well, you know, why, why am I paying a higher price to buy out the rest of the way when I kind of help increase the value? Like, I know that that gets tricky with associates because like they end up making it more expensive for themselves to buy in because they were such a good associate and did so much dentistry. So this is a yeah. hard question to answer, but you know, I'm just curious, like, you know, it's probably where your um, broker comes in and tries to help go to both sides and say, this is kind of what's fair because, you know, in your situation, Mitch allowed you, you allowed Dennis in the practice to just continue to grow so much that increased the value where if you end up having to pay Dennis a crazy amount to buy out the rest of it, it's like partially because you rewarded him with the growth. I don't know if you understand what I'm asking. Yeah, I get what you're saying. You're adding value and you're purchasing your own value that you're adding. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Or how do you, what, what, how do you reflect that, I guess? Yeah, so I think, um, so the the company that I'm using now ran, ran valuations on the practice in like seven or eight different ways. It's It, it got pretty complex, but a lot of it is based on what, what can the practice do? What will it do? What are future projections of this? It's not, it's, it's like, I understand that you're adding value to the practice, but your, your practice isn't going to just decrease in value when your partner leaves. And in theory, you know, you should be adding somebody else on to, to replace them. If, if you're worried about the practice decreasing in value, um, you know, and I think 
I, I think I lucked into a good situation because like I had mentioned, Dennis had an associate on beforehand. So the practice was already valued kind of before I came on. So we had some initial numbers to kind of go on to, mm -hmm. um, which helped. Um, I think, you know, everybody's situation is different, but I do think it's, it's worth if, if you are in a situation um, where your initial impression is I might be able to stay here long-term, mm -hmm. um, it might be worth you know, talking to whoever you're with to, to value the practice early um, and, and get a sense of where it's at and how much you did in fact grow the practice. I mean, you should be able to do it even, even after the fact, you know, cause every, I would hope every practice is tracking all their numbers. Um, and I would hope that whoever, um, whoever's in this situation is using some sort of a practice broker that, that can go back and retroactively calculate all of this. But um, you know, I, I guess I can't speak to everybody's situation either. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. Like a lot of most people listening to the podcast are younger dentists that, you know, are either trying to buy in for the first time or associating right now and thinking about ownership. So it's interesting. I, I want to get Dennis on the podcast and have him reflect on, you know, his career because he's been doing this game for so long and, you know, talk about like things he's learned and what would he do different and what's, what's worked well. But um, these bios get so complex. And then I know you guys have the challenge of trying to, you know, you're going from three full-time providers to two in a practice with, I don't know how many thousands of patients you guys have, you know, like, um, like, yeah, like 12,000. Yeah, I was going like to guess that. six. I wasn't even happy. It's like this <laughs> giant practice, right. For like two yeah. people. And it's just like, you know, a, a level that's going to be nearly impossible to keep up with. But, you know, one of the things I was going to bring up earlier and didn't, I forgot to finish was like, trying to draw associates to um, the demand, the places where the demand is at, like the you know, yeah. semi-rural America. I really do the thing on the podcast where I tote rural a lot because I'm obviously a fan, but the reality is like most people are kind of in shoes like us working in, you know, pedo offices in towns of like 15 to 20,000, even the bigger town, like in St. Cloud area, like 200,000, but you know, your rural satellites, your overhead is so low, they're so profitable, but it's still so hard to get dentists to to go like, man, do you want to go to where you can pay your student loans off in like a year and just be so busy, but yeah. it's still like, ultimately, like, I mean, it just seems like millennials or people our age in their thirties, you know, they like to be where, you know, where the action is, where the city is, where the, yeah. the restaurants are. And it's hard to pull, even, even with, you know, fat paychecks and busy practices, it's hard to pull people away from that life, you know, as yeah. I'm sure you can attest to. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's, and quite frankly, I, I understand the appeal of having all the amenities of a large city. Like it's not, it's nice. It's really nice. Um, and there's aspects of it that I, that I miss, but at the same time, um, the older I get, the, the happier I am that I'm in a setting where I'm like, like where I'm at, where, you know, gosh, I can take an hour drive and get to the cities and, and have all the amenities there without having to live in the hustle and bustle and deal with the traffic and, and everything else that comes with it. And, you know, to your point, you know, it's, <laughs> you, you can move a little bit beyond that and set yourself up for enormous practice growth and enormous, you know, personal financial success, you know, in, in a time frame that is so much shorter. I mean, burn it out seeing 80 patients a day in a city that's that's entirely medicaid or you can move out to a rural community and see a little bit less of that and earn a whole lot more money um i don't know it's uh to me it made it made a whole lot of sense like i said i didn't want to have to compete with a bunch of other people i wanted to be able to kind of be in control of my own destiny and moving 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 out 
a little bit made sense to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying, you know, we've been, we've been hammering on the, the partnership thing. Um, there's a few other, I was trying to think of some other topics that might be worth um, asking you and getting your opinion on. Um, and uh, I wrote down a few things on some like employee stuff. Cause another thing that I thought you guys um, did really well was the, I'm trying to pull up my notes here. Here we go. Um, kind of the, the team thing. And I, I get careful about having too many conversations on like team building leadership, like treating employees well, because everybody wants to beat that topic to death and everybody thinks that they're experts at it in the world of dentistry. But um, I, I thought that the, um, the staff members and team at your practice were like treated really well and were good team members. And I thought you guys had good systems in place. Um, Aleda, your office manager, she's great. Like she probably is a bit of a testament to that, but uh, I just was always impressed. I thought you guys like took really good care of the employees. Like you guys have health insurance, you guys have great benefits. And so um, I know, and like any office, there's going to be turnover and not finding the right fit. And I talked to Dennis about this as well, but thought it'd just be interesting to, um, I've had some listeners write in with questions on, you know, staffing with a dental office, like number of staff needed, how to retain good staff, like what you look for in hiring people. Um, another person wrote in, what's a good balance for a smooth running pediatric office, like how many assistants. Um, but I've had some people ask about like staffing questions and I thought it might be nice to touch on that just because we didn't have a crazy amount of turnover when I worked there. Like you said, it's going to happen, happen anywhere, but um, um, any specifics you can give that you've learned in your time as being a partner and like some ownership in the practices you take over, like things you find, like besides the generic, like, you know, everybody, oh, you're going to treat your staff like family. Like, of course we all do. Like that's just being a good human being, but like any good specific things that you have found worked well for getting a good team together, like, like resources, benefits that work well, um, systems you guys have that like seem to keep and retain good staff members, like any specifics you can think of. Yeah, no, I think, I think you, I think you say we all treat them like family, Casey, and I, and I can appreciate that, but I know not every practice does that. We've snapped up some good employees who are not being treated well at their offices um, and they, they've, yeah, they've had a lot to say about it too. So, I mean, I think, you know, I think that speaks to you and your values and that, uh, you know, that's, um, I think it says a lot about you and your values, but yeah, no, hopefully everybody's treating everybody really well. Um, yeah, I've learned a lot. And especially more recently, I mean, when COVID hit, that really threw a monkey wrench in absolutely everything. You know, it really stressed a lot of people out, you know, uh, not only, you know, patients and families and the doctors that are owning all these practices, but a lot of the, a lot of the assistants kind of got bugged out by some of this stuff too. You know, we noticed a lot more um, tension amongst staff members and unhappy staff members and things, you know, um, and the, to your point, there's always going to be some turnover, but man, if you can, if you can mitigate turnover and keep those employees happy and keep from having to go through the process of, of retraining new hires and everything else, that's, that's your best investment. Um, but as far as what I've, what, so Lindsay and I really kind of dug into systems, uh, when we found out that, that Dennis was going to retire, I'll kind of back up a little bit here. Um, yeah. Yeah. and um, you know, as, as your wife, does you got to clarify for listeners. Lindsay is your wife who also Lindsay's my wife. The, yep. The yeah. And Lindsay, Lindsay's got a, got a lot of background. She was a high school, um, high school social studies teacher, but she's held a lot of leadership roles over the years and, and, um, held a lot of leadership roles in college and everything else. So this kind of comes naturally to her to, to do this. And, 
um, you know, we, we started just, just by me going in and, and getting feedback from the staff, you know, okay, so what's, what, what would make your life easier? What, what can we do to help support you to make this thing run smoother for everybody? And, and that was a good first place to start to kind of help start to engage and, and, you know, let them know that their opinions valued and everything else. But then when I brought Lindsay on board, we, we, we kind of sat down and looked, gosh, our, our job descriptions are a bit out of date. We really need to update these. And having really good, clearly defined roles is enormously important, especially when you start to grow your practice more and have more employees. Mm-hmm. It's easy enough when you've got just a few and you can say, okay, well, you're the dental assistant and you're the front staff and you're in charge of this and you're in charge of that. Um, but the more people you start to get on board, the more important it is to have really clearly defined roles so people know their expectations because it's difficult to manage a large number of people. It's entirely different than managing a small staff, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, having those clearly defined roles allowed us to, to um, create a more transparent process for employee reviews. And it also helped us create a system of, of goal setting um, that w- that uh, that empowers empowers the the employee, but also helps the the, the practice kind of accomplish um, our mission statement, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there needs to be a lot of I think there needs to be a lot more focus on on okay, what are what systems do we have in place to really help support our employees and set goals and allow them to feel like they're growing within their own positions and, and it, it giving them an opportunity to achieve their own personal goals within the practice, um, just as much as it is to make sure you, that you're hiring the right people and um, Yeah. And it's just as important as hiring the right people. Right. Well, um, and another thing I talked to Dennis about too previously, what, um, cause I started asking about some employee stuff with growth, you know, you're always trying to do the math in your head. You know, if you're trying to keep your employee cost to, you know, 20% of your, your overhead or something. So like everybody's always that walk, walking that line. Like, is it, is it going to be worth my time from a dollars and cents standpoint to add another assistant and everything. Um, but one of the things he brought up a good point was he, he hired Aleda and had an office manager right off the bat with all that growth. And she's still been here all these years, but I thought it might be worth emphasizing, like having a good office manager who can be kind of the funnel for not only like HR issues, staffing issues, scheduling, especially when I saw how busy and hectic things get running for practices where you've got doctors going everywhere in these complex schedules. Um, it was kind of nice to uh, to have somebody who could quarterback all of that without the mm-hmm. doctors getting overly involved. So yeah, that was something I'm I'm putting a bit of words in your mouth here, but I thought having a good office manager who just has been that at the at the practice for a while and really ingrained like seemed to really facilitate like keeping keeping everything flowing really smoothly. Yeah, the 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 other thing, and I know everybody says this, but until you're in the situation and you're experiencing it yourself or you've done it yourself. <laughs> get rid of bad apples. Um, we, we've, we've had um, some toxic personalities in the past and every time we, one of them moves on or we let one go, it's, it vastly improves um, the, the, the morale of the entire office, basically. Yeah. Everybody does better, uh, which means that 
everybody's coming into work happier. The patients are happier. You know, word of mouth referrals are more, I'm happier. <laughs> the whole thing goes more smoother. There's less drama. It's always exactly. Yeah. 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 And I, I, you know, it's, it's, they're tough calls to make, but they're the right calls every time is, is to, you know, if you, if you, if you can't seem to find what motivates them and they're unhappy and they're causing trouble, just, just cut them. Even, even though, even though staffing is so dang tight right now, it's still, right. it's just, yeah, it's better. You're better off without, but, um, but no, as far as like the number, the number of the kind of the sweet spot, it's hard to say. I mean, every practice is really different. And again, if, you know, if you're a volume based practice, you're going to need a whole lot more. And, and if you're, if you're in a situation where you're seeing a lot more teenagers and, and uh, calculus, you might need a hygienist. You might need several hygienists. It's, you know, it's hard for me to say we're, we're in our, in our setup. I like, uh, like I said, I really pride myself on, on taking my time and giving attention to, to patients and parents. And um, because of that, I pretty much operate with, with assistance only. And, and I don't worry too much about doing a little scaling on my own. Cause it gives me the opportunity to kind of, to slow down and connect with the kid or the parent or whatever it is. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, so for me, and again, I, I, I kind of run, I run a little bit leaner too. So I, I've got, uh, Three to four systems is usually pretty good to me. I'll run four four columns worth of dentistry. One one of which is just a pure operative column, and the other three chairs are just hygiene, basically, or checks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if we need to throw in a sterilization tech, I think that's underutilized. I think a lot of people don't find don't don't understand the value in in um, hiring a sterilization tech, which is far less expensive than having another dental assistant in the office who can really help keep your dental assistants kind of moving along. It's a great point. Um, yeah. Yeah. I also think that that people that are in a sterilization tech kind of role, you can also dual train them to be front staff position too. So if your front staff ever needs backup, um, again, you got someone there that can do that. And you know, and these are people that you can hire out of high school if you need to. They don't have to have a licensed, you know, dental assistant, um, or they don't have to be licensed dental assistants or anything. So yeah, that's a great point, man. I've never thought about that, but yeah, just like. Yeah, logistically speaking, it makes a ton of sense. Like just have somebody that can let the assistants you know, kind of the way that we like to prioritize the amount of time we spend behind the handpiece, prioritize your assistant spending the maximum amount of time chair side helping assist with procedures and doing dental assistant related things versus having to just constantly factory roll through and keep sterile and stuff rolling. So especially right. if you're busy enough, you've got enough 12,000 patients where you can, you know, a sterile tech seems like a, a really good idea. So that's a great point that I have not thought of before. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. I mean, what do you, what, I mean, you're in an, uh, a startup, um, you know, what's, what works well for you? What do you feel is important to when you're, you know, as far as the numbers and, and when you're hiring people, I mean, what's, what's your take on all that after having owned and operated your startup. own practice for a while? Yeah. Pretty similar to what you had said. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of doing math where it's like, I think in my head, you know, I'm at a good cruising altitude. I've got two up front and then four in back full time. Um, and that lets me see a pretty consistent, you know, 40, 40 some, 45 kids a day. Um, but I think to myself, you know, my real rough math is for about every $200,000 in additional dentistry I, I do, I can afford to bring on um, another staff member. And I like to try to run a lean team, a leaner team. And I know my girls know this, but yeah, my team members know this, but I want to make sure that I prioritize good, you know, raises, benefits to them, you know, kickbacks, cashbacks, bonus games, stuff like that to them versus trying to stretch, you know, because I'm always staying in my budget for for payroll. 
where yeah. I'd rather do that than be super overhired and not being able to like reward people that are good, loyal team members and lose them. So that's, yeah. that's kind of been one thing. My rough rule of thumb is if I can do another $200,000 worth of dentistry in a year, then I, I can do another, you know, hire another assistant and it keeps me um, in that healthy range as far as numbers go. And then the other, only other real thought that comes to mind is something that um, I try to really pay attention to that's worked well is I'm always trying to think of like something for us to look forward to as a team. And I try to say, okay, if I was a dental assistant, this was my role, roles were reversed, you know, what would, what would get me excited and kind of keep things fresh and fun at the office? Cause nobody wants to work in a place like like an Amazon factory show up and you do the same exact thing over and over. You don't get rewarded. Nobody says, thank you. You just show up and you go home and you get burnt out. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm always trying to think, okay, do we have a fun reward based game we can do? I did a random gift card. Like, you know, I bought like a whole stack of gift cards to like various places, just dental assistant week the other week. And I let them all pit, pit, reach into a bucket, pull one out. And one was like, like one of the girls really liked Sonic. So I had a Sonic gift card and one of the girls really likes like, you know, home improvement stuff. So I got Lowe's, but they didn't all get that. So they got to argue and swap over them and stuff. Um, <laughs> we're doing like a, an office weight loss challenge, nothing crazy, but I pitched in like a hundred bucks. Um, you know, so we're going to do like a, like a, you know, sober April type thing and try to all get back into office shape. So just like fun things. Like, I just, I'd like to think that like a team that's like motivated, you know, is motivated well by like keeping things fresh and fun and things to look forward to in the workplace. Like if you get stagnant and stale and you're just making them do the same basic checks and the same monotonous things over and over for months and months and years on end, like eventually you're just going to get bored and burnt out. So I like to think of like outside the office things, like I took them all to Six Flags, the amusement park and, you know, take them to Margarita Tuesday spontaneously, you know, more so than just like, oh, I buy coffee once in a while. Like I try to think of like, cool mm -hmm. things for us to do together to like keep things fresh for them. Cause ultimately like people want to work in a place where they feel like part of something and they contribute and there's things to look forward to. Um, and I think if you don't do that, you don't stimulate people and they don't grow and then they get unhappy and leave. I totally just hijacked that, but you, you see, you understand. What no, I'm no, no. I agree. I, I agree fully with you. I think, I think a lot of engagement, you got to know what motivates them. And I think, um, yeah, to your point, always having something to look forward to always have something else ahead of them. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's, I think it's smart. I think it's good. Yeah. I think most pediatric dentists and a lot of whom of which I talk to, it's like, if once you get into the ownership role, you know, give it enough time and the, the clinical side of dentistry becomes just a piece of cake and the, uh, in mm -hmm. most circumstances, and then the, the HR, like admin stuff, like, you know, compliance things like dealing with, you know, just em employee issues. Like that's what really burns people out long-term. And uh, I, I fully understand that now as an owner, even as you try and <laughs> you try and do as best you can and treat everybody right. But like, it's just impossible to work in a workplace where you have a bunch of people working for you and everything's perfect all the time. Like there's just going to be issues and you just try to make the best call you can and treat people the way you want to be treated. And, you know, yeah. and you just, you take it one day at a time and it, it works out. My, all the people that own practices that are listening to this are all shaking their head on their way to work. Like, yes, I know exactly what you mean right now. Yeah. Right. Been, been there, done that. I know it's, it's every, everybody that's been out longer than us is looking back on this saying, okay, let's, <laughs> let's hear something new, but no, I mean, I think, I think to your point, like a growth mindset within the practice is really, really important. I mean, people, people, people need to have something to look, uh, not only look forward to from a kind of a fun incentive reward type thing, but also just, um, 
improving their own skills, growing within their own profession, looking, yes. you know, looking forward to getting better at what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that can be kind of hard to do sometimes, but I think it's wildly important. Yeah. Um, uh, what if, if we, uh, if we kind of, as we kind of wrap up here and we were, I wanted to finish, we were mentioning about like looking for associates and things, um, you know, if we apply this to, instead of like maybe, you know, front and back end team members, like we talk more about associates now that you've gone through the process of having myself and another associate and stuff, like what are some things that you've learned about um, hiring an associate? I can't really speak to this because I have not hired an associate. I've only been one, but um, are there things that um, make a good associate or things that, um, what am I trying to say? I don't know. I just am kind of looking for your reflections on, you know, what, what is an ideal associate? Like, what things have you found work well? Like, what have you learned being an owner doc trying to hire employees? Obviously, it's a lot harder than it looks like getting and keeping a good associate long term. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's not just you, that's everybody, you know, you pull out the back of a pediatric dentistry magazine, AAPD magazine, and there's five pages on back, just thick with everybody's looking for good. There's obviously a high demand for good associates. But what, um, what kind of things have you learned now that you've had a couple of associates work for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I got lucky. Um, I mean, I had you, and the and the other associate we have now is is pretty terrific too. But I've interviewed a lot of I've interviewed a lot of associates, and um, I think as an owner doc, things to be looking for are, you know, do they do they have do they have a, a personality that you can gel with? Do they have the work ethic that you're looking for? And are they coachable? Um, is it someone that is willing to take feedback? I, I, that last one is really important. Um, there, there, in, um, to me, to some degree, coming right out of residency, there's a lot of, I think, overconfidence in some people, and just as much as there is underconfidence and needing mentorship and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if they're coachable, I think it 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 helps them acclimate into the practice culture and the practice systems and um, get along with the team better. And I think there's <clears throat> I think there's a lot of value in that because again, if, if, if the staff is happy and that doctor is happy and everybody's getting along and they're receiving feedback well, and everybody's growing it, it, the patients see it, they feel it. Um, and it, and it really has a positive impact on your patient growth. Um, so I think, you know, and again, I lucked out, I got you and I've got another really great guy right now too. Um, and hopefully the next person we bring on will be equally great too. Um, but yeah, I think being coachable and, and someone who's willing to work hard, um, I, I, I've interviewed a lot of people who, um, expect quite a lot mm-hmm. and maybe don't really want to work for it. So, um, sure. you know, that's, that's a trouble I run into. And now on the, on the flip side of this, if you are an associate and you're looking to buy in, do not underestimate your value. It is enormously hard to find a good associate. So if you guys are talking partnership, make sure you get what you want out of that partnership because for your your owner doctor to go and find another associate that is familiar with all the patients and the practice and for them to go through that whole process again, um, from my perspective, I would be willing to give a lot to keep somebody on board uh, rather than go back to the drawing board again. So. Mm Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, well, 
I guess as we as we wrap this up, you know, you and I have, have talked a little bit that you guys have been trying to get some help up there for a while. But if um, I guess if anybody's listening who is like interested in like coming out and hanging up, hanging out at the central, you know, up in the tundra up where you guys are at up there. But you know, if, if <laughs> somewhere out there, there's an, there's somebody listening who's like really into hockey and loves like the outdoors and camping and fishing who. I think would just thrive up in that part of the world. Cause there's a lot of all those things up there, but um, any, what's a, what's a good way to get in touch with you? If anybody has questions on like the partnership, you know, the buyout process, which you have a lot of experience in or um, kind of just what the pedo scene is like, like in central Minnesota. Um, yeah. What's a good way to get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, probably just email. Email is probably the best way. Uh, and it's, it's Kramer at dfckids.com. That's K R A M E R at dfckids.com. Um, and yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to, to help anybody out in any way that I can. I mean, I've had a lot of great mentors along the way and I'd be happy to pass it along, so. Fantastic. Mitch, I don't know, my since we're doing this on Zoom, my timer, I don't have a timer to look at, but we've probably pretty easily talked at least an hour and we could keep going because <laughs> I like catching up and hearing how things are going and it's yeah. throwing me back a little bit, but um, you got to... Uh, you got to tell everybody hi for me up there that we chatted and tell everybody hi and that miss everybody and that uh, hope everything's going well for everybody up that way. Yeah, I definitely will, Casey. It was really nice catching up, man. We'll have to do, uh, have to just, you know, get back on the phone again soon. There's a lot I have to, uh, I'd like to ask you about. So Keep catching up. Yeah. Maybe at some point, if I'm up, if I'm up there or you're down here, I mean, now that we both are like slam practice owners and, and, you know, things just keep growing, it's going to get harder to do, but I'm hoping at some point in time we get together in person and, hit a few breweries in person or something again, like old times would be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or at the very least, uh, see if we can meet up at a conference or something. So. Something. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, awesome. good, talk, good talking to you. Have a good night. Yeah. Thanks for the yeah. opportunity, Casey. It's good to All talk, right. talk with you. See you Mitch. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Brews and Tiny Teeth podcast. Don't forget to submit any questions, comments, or tough clinical situations to cgets at troypediatricdentist.com for our next Pedo Pearls Power Hour. Also, be sure to share our podcast and leave a review. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week for another episode.